Let's turn to the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 1. You can see we've covered the music gamut today. We've had the uh, traditional, the very classic, kind of some swingy gospel. John, at the first chapter of John. Going to make some real progress today, verses 19 through 28. I got uh, sick just at the end of the week. So sick, uh, Judy had to take me to the doctor. I couldn't drive. Now, that's a real, um, you know, I drive at my house in the car. And if I can't drive, I'm really sick. So Judy had to drive me to the doctor. So I was a little fuzzy. I'm still a little fuzzy today. Um, so I forgot something when I came up here. And that's why I was communicating. Dylan and Stacy McSweeney joined on Wednesday. And I said, well, I'll, I'll bring the questions and I'll ask them in front, of the, in front of the congregation like we typically do. But I forgot the questions. But, but Dylan and Stacy, our newest members, stand up there. Uh, they've been here for a while. And uh, I'll just ask them to come back to the door at the end of service and shake hands with them. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So just at the last hymn, come back with me. Okay. Um, all right. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. If you're able, will you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit, that we would have understanding, that we would see clearly what it is that you call us to do with this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. Verse 19, and this is the witness of John, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They said then to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, in case, in case you didn't know, I have a dog, okay? I have a Border Collie. He's the smartest dog in the world. That's, that's what was told to me, although I don't think he was the person who said that was referring specifically to my dog. Uh, he has his moments, but he is not the smartest. As a breed, I think he's the brightest. Uh, I remember seeing something on television or uh, the Internet that said there was uh, a Border Collie who could recognize 1,000 different commands, or go and do 1,000 different things. In fact, he could even reason. Uh, they would put all his toys out there, and there would be one toy that, that wasn't his, and they would send him out to get it. 
and he would go through the pile in a sense and reason out, well, this is this one, this toy, I know this one, and I know this one, so this one must be the one that they sent me for because I don't know what it is. And he would bring back that toy. So, very bright dog. Um, you know, and, and, and my dog is, is not, he doesn't know a thousand things. Maybe in his little dog mind he does. But he knows his right from his left. I can throw a ball out and tell him to go right or left. He knows to go and get one of the girls. He can go find his ball in the house. Um, he knows he's not supposed to eat out of the trash. But that doesn't usually stop him from eating out of the trash. <laughs> and then once he eats out of the trash, he knows he's not supposed to. So he goes like this, and he slinks around the house, you know, when he's been caught. Um, and he has shame. That is, until I say, let's go outside, and then his sin is forgotten. Okay? Uh, no, so that's very good about him. He forgets his own sin. He forgets our sin as well, but he forgets his own sin very quickly. Um, you know, and any dog lover probably has a bunch of stories about the quirks of his dog. And if you put us all in a room, we could begin to tell stories about our dogs. And, and pretty soon we would know all about the strange things that our animals do. And, and um, you know, it's a natural process. We sit down, we talk about the things that interest us. We could do the thing, same things about our spouses. But we probably wouldn't tell the quirky things our spouses do, especially if they eat out of the trash. We wouldn't, we wouldn't say that, no. But we tell them about our kids, our cars. You know, you put us in a room, we talk about the things we like. We talk about football, we talk about our animals, our families, all those types of things. Our childhood experiences, the things we love are easy to talk about because they get us excited. We're jazzed about those things. Now, if somebody turns to you and says, well, tell me about Jesus, are you as forthcoming? Are you as excited? Are you as ready to share about the things that Jesus has done as you are about your dog? Hmm. Well, you know, I'm not talking about some great theological treatise. I'm not talking about a defense of the virgin birth or the resurrection or the, 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 the question of the, the humanity and deity of Christ. I'm talking about right here. I'm talking about what has Christ done in your heart. And if somebody were to, if you're on a plane, okay, and there you are, you're in the middle seat of the aisle. And... The person next to you, you know, there's three seats and you're in the middle seat. And the person next to you goes, can you tell me about Jesus? Now, that's as open an invitation as you're probably ever going to get. And I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those, but every once in a while in life, somebody just turns and says, my life is falling apart. Can you help me? And usually it's in a place where it may not be as convenient as you think it is to share. But what would you do? Would the things of Christ that you know to be true in your heart, would they flow very simply from, from you? Or would you go, um, well, I give you the, the name of my pastor so that when we get home, he can tell you. Uh, no. Can you say, what has Jesus done? Can you talk about his grace? Can you talk about the way that he works in your life? Again, no great theological treatise. Does it flow from your heart what he has done? These are the heart things. I'm talking about. Not the doctrine things, it's the heart things. I think our passage today will help us with this. It will help us understand how to witness, not witness to us, but witness to Jesus Christ. Because John the Baptist comes and he prepares the way for Jesus. 
Okay? He makes it very clearly, I am not the Christ. He is the Christ. You must believe in him. I am not the Christ. He is the Christ. You must believe in him. I am not the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. I must decrease. He must increase. I have no answers that you need, but I know the one who has the answers that you seek. And his name is Jesus Christ. We do not make anyone a Christian. That's what the Lord does. He does the saving. You and I are simply John the Baptist. Voice crying in the wilderness. A voice crying in the wilderness. What does the voice look like? The voice is not important. What does the voice say? That's what's important. We witness to Christ. We witness to Christ. So before we go any further, let's have a little look at John the Baptist. He's a great character. Um, Unlike almost anybody else except some of the Old Testament prophets. That's why they asked him, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? And we'll see that in just a minute. John the Baptist, we all heard about him undoubtedly from from Sunday school or something as a child. He ate locust and wild honey. Uh, He was out there and wore camel hair clothes. Not the camel hair jackets we buy at Joseph A. Bank, okay? Uh, But camel hair was a rough Um, manly type of thing. It wasn't as bad as sackcloth, but it was not comfortable clothes. It was clothing for the desert, clothing for the rough life. That was what it was. His parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth, both from the tribe of Levi. John was, from his birth, a Nazarite. That means he would not cut his hair, he would not touch anything dead, nor would he drink from the fruit of the vine. Those were the three vows that were taken for him by his mother, and he lived those out. So by the time he comes on the scene in his public ministry, he's almost 30 years old. So he has had 30 years of preparation. He's also had 30 years of not cutting his hair. You just think about, you know, Troy Polamalu for the Steelers, okay? And all that hair he's got in his head, that's not 30 years worth of hair, But you think of 30 years of hair, John the Baptist in the first century. That's some hair, okay? Now, even Christ didn't start his ministry for 30 years. There's this time of preparation, of getting ready uh, for all of these things that the Lord had for him. Now, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He was the first prophet in 400 years. And the Jews had been looking for a word from the Lord. They had been waiting to hear from God since the final word of Malachi. 400 years the Lord had been silent, and suddenly here's the voice crying in the wilderness. And we read from Isaiah, and we'll look at it again here in a moment, what he was. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was dynamic. He was forceful. You can imagine why these people who had been waiting for a word from the Lord were drawn to him. They would go all the way out to the desert just to hear him preach and talk about being prepared for the coming of the Messiah. He says, I am not Jesus. Here is Jesus. You must believe in him. I'm just the voice pointing to him. Now, he was out there in the Jordan Valley. Along the river, everybody went out to hear him. He was baptizing with water. He says very clearly, next one will come to baptize with something else, something far more powerful than this water. He had this tremendous power. 
You know, he kind of moved away from society. He moved out into the desert, out with the poor people. He lived and associated with them. He wore the same clothes. He ate the same types of food. He talked the language of repentance. He said, you've got to get your heart right. The king is coming. You must be ready for his arrival. He completely identified with the people that he preached to. Now remember the adage which I have said, which was said to me on the day that I was ordained, proper preparation prevents pitifully poor performance. Okay, the six Ps. Proper preparation prevents pitifully poor performance. And there are days where I have not properly prepared and performed pitifully, um, and yet the Lord has blessed that for whatever reason. Uh, I don't look too good, but that's not the issue. Okay, the issue is, does the word go forward? But there's a time of preparation, and if you prepare properly, then the Lord will do things. That's, that's what he talks about. He will get you ready for what lay ahead. Remember, when David met Goliath, that was not the first time he had picked up a sling in his life. He had spent years out in the field fighting off the lions and the bears and protecting the sheep using his sling so that when he stood before Goliath with that sling in the stone, it was old hat to him. Okay, he knew how to use it. B.B. Warfield, uh, who was a Princeton Seminary professor years ago, tells a story of a, uh, a military officer who was serving in the Philippines. And uh, he's a very straight-laced guy, and he's walking down the street. Uh, he, was, he was raised in the Presbyterian uh, tradition. And he walks by, and he sees somebody go by him, and it catches his eye. And, and the military man turns around, and he, he yells out in his commanding voice, What's the chief end of man? And the guy turns around and says, To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the military man says, I knew you were a shorter catechism boy. I knew you were. There was something about you. See, you prepare. You prepare for what the Lord has for you to do. If you know the answers ahead of time, then the questions of life aren't that frightening. If you are prepared, then when you face it, it's not that frightening at all. John the Baptist came to grips with who he was in relation to Jesus Christ. He knew this over the course of his life. Over and over we see in this gospel, the gospel of John, that the writer explains that that Jesus is described in terms in the Old Testament. He is laid out for us in the Old Testament so that we would be ready to see who he was when he arrived, that we would know. He doesn't appear on the scene in history without any preparation. He is repeated, the coming of Christ is repeated again and again. We understand that God has been at work in Israel for the last 2,000 years, preparing the soil for the coming of the Messiah. We see him in all the different types of literature in the Old Testament. We see him laid out in the history in the Old Testament. The guys on Wednesday at, at, at their Bible study at lunch have been studying Genesis, and we've been looking at Joseph and how Joseph is a type of Christ. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and eventually his brothers return to him, and he saves their lives. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. He is a type of Christ, the same type of thing. Man killed Christ, but yet he is the author of their salvation at the same time. 
In the Psalms, there are many Psalms that are referred to as Messianic Psalms because they forecast the coming of the Messiah. Psalm 22, as an example, is about crucifixion. Crucifixion doesn't even come on the scene for another 800 years, but it prophesies what happens in the crucifixion. And then, of course, the prophets, both the major and the minor prophets, talk about the suffering servant. They talk about the coming of the one who will redeem Israel, who will bring together the things and the close of the age. We see in Daniel and kind of the eschatological sections, the coming of the one on the clouds and the white hair, the one like the Son of Man. This is the coming of Christ. Again, we see him laid out in these passages in the Old Testament, pointing to him again and again. Well, Here in the passage, the delegation comes out to John the Baptist. And they come all the way out to the desert, out to the Jordan, to ask him who he is. Now, the official delegation is sent by the Sanhedrin. It's made up of priests and Levites. They've been sent by the chief himself. Now, they weren't happy with John because John wasn't one of them. Now, you can imagine he comes from outside the mainstream. He didn't go through seminary. He didn't jump through their hoops. He comes from on the scene. They don't know from where. And he is preaching this message of the coming of the Messiah. John had not sat at the feet of any of these scholars. But yet he preaches the things of the coming of Christ. He had suddenly risen out of nowhere. And they're not very happy. But they can't ignore him any longer. Because there are so many crowds coming out to hear him. This was John's testimony. He says, I'm not the light. I'm sent to bear witness to the light that all men would believe. Verses uh, in our section, we have John denying that he is of any personal value. I am nothing. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal of the one that I'm pointing to. Later, he says, I must become nothing. He must become everything. I am not the answer to your problems. I am not the light. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the light. You must believe on him. It is God's work to change hearts. It is not John's work to change the hearts. It is John's work to declare the one who changes hearts has come. The task of witnessing to Jesus Christ is not reserved for the few. Turn over to John 15 and we'll have a look at what he says. John chapter 15, verse 16. Evangelism is not the gift of a few. Yes, it is a gift, but we are all called to witness. We are called to go and make disciples. Okay? The command there in the passage that I read from Matthew earlier in the service is not to go. Okay? The command is to make disciples. Going is an assumption of the command. Okay? Make disciples. Here in John 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. I did not, you did not choose me. I chose you. That's Christ saying, I chose you. And not only did he choose us, he appointed us that we should go and bear fruit. And that bearing of the fruit is witnessing to the things of Christ and making disciples. That is the bearing of the fruit. We were chosen and commissioned to go forth and to witness to the things of Christ. Now, 
Gibbon, who wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, states that in the early church, it became the most sacred duty of a new convert to diffuse among his friends and relations the inestimable blessing which he had received. Did you get that? It was the duty, the sacred duty of a new convert to turn and to talk to his friends about the blessing that he'd received in Christ. That's how the gospel went forward in the first century and in the second century and the third century. How it spread so quickly throughout the world was, my life has changed. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me witness to Jesus. I'm not the one. He's the one. But let me tell you what he's done in my heart. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. And that joy just overflowed. And they had to turn to their neighbor, and they talked to them, and they turned to their friends, and they talked to them. They weren't talking about their dog. They were talking about their Lord. And they were excited about it. My goodness. It was just a natural thing. My life has been changed. Let me help change yours. Let me tell you the one who can change your life, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, the delegation looks at John, and he says, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? Well, that's a fair question. Because the Old Testament, Malachi in particular, says to look for someone like Elijah, who will come from the desert before the coming of the Messiah. And John says, no, I'm not Elijah. And then he says, are you the prophet? Verse uh, 21 of chapter 1, you see the prophet is a capital P here. Because Deuteronomy chapter 18 mentions that the prophet will come. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Are you the prophet? He says, no, I'm not the prophet. Well, who are you? This is driving them crazy. I mean, if you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, you say you're not the Messiah, who are you? Now, this is a pretty open-ended question. And what could John have said? Now, just think. Let's, let's take, on, take it in our humanness, what we might think that John could say. He says, who are you? Well, you know, Zacharias is my dad. He was, he was one of the best prophets. He's chief prophet. You know, he went into the Holy of Holies one time. You know, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit since I was in my mother's womb. You know, Jesus walked into the room and I leapt within my mother's womb. She told me all of this. I'm the greatest man who ever lived. That's what Jesus is going to say about him later. The greatest man ever born to a woman. I'm the herald of the Messiah. Okay, I'm the one who comes and tells you poor idiot sinners that the Messiah is coming. That's what John could have said and it all would have been true. But that's not what he says. He says, I'm a voice. That's all that I am. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Because he is coming. He's the word. I'm the voice. I'm nobody. I'm standing in the wilderness. I'm out here in the desert. And I'm saying, get ready. Because Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Now... Paul, in the third chapter of Ephesians, says basically the same thing. He says, I'm the least of the saints. This is what John the Baptist is saying. I'm the least. I'm unimportant. Paul, probably the greatest Christian, you know, not Christ, but the greatest Christian we've ever ever seen says, I'm the least of the saints. See, this is humility. This is our understanding of who we are in relation to Christ. I'm the voice. He's the Messiah. I'm the one who says he's coming. I'm pointing to, to him. That's the one you have to believe in. Well, the, they want to know, who are you? Tell us who you are. Well, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. 
If you want to know my job description, John the Baptist says, you, you basically have to read the prophet. It's written for you there. It's written out who I am. Now, this indicates that John had learned this. He's probably raised on this as a child. He was told about his birth. He was told about his encounter while, while in the womb with Jesus. And his mother probably said, this is what you're called to do. And he went and looked in the Old Testament and found out his job description from the prophet Isaiah. I'm to be a highway builder. I'm to prepare a highway in the desert for our God. And Isaiah says, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought down, the crooked made straight, the rough places a plain. This is how you build a road. You fill in the low parts, you take off the high parts. If it's too crooked, you make it straight. And John says, I prepare the way. Now, how many of you know any of the highway builders? You know the highway because the way has been made straight. Do you remember anybody who builds it? No. No. Unless you're one of the guys that builds it. Do do we care if anybody remembers the voice? No, we care that they hear the voice. We care that they remember what is said because what is said points them to the one in whom they find salvation. Who cares about us? It's like John the Baptist. We can't even worthy to untie his sandal. But we get to point to him. We get to share about what he has done here in our lives, in our hearts, to the point that we get a chance to overflow. He fills our cup to such a degree that it should overflow in our conversation. Let me tell you about my dog. Let me tell you about my God. Which do you want to talk about more? Now, I have to say, in our humanness, there's my dog. All right? I can get my hands on him. He's real every day. I go home, and you know, the difference between dog and cat, you walk in the house, and that dog, his tail is wagging, and he's just so happy. Like, you have you've not seen me. It could be 10 minutes, and he'll still run to the door and see me. Okay? If I come home from traveling, and I've been away a day or two, he's running around the house, and he can barely stop. You know, you go to see the cat, the cat will look at you. Like, did you forget to feed me? Okay. But the dog, the dog loves me, okay? He loves everybody. And so that's something tangible, and you can get excited about that. Now, where is God? Well, God's a little bit less tangible. But remember what he has done. Remember, you were his enemy. You were in sin, and he has sent his son to give his life for you that you might be called now his child. That you might receive all the blessings that the Lord has for you. That he might rain them down upon us. Not just sprinkle, but pour. Open the floodgates and pour down upon us. Now I know that's not the warm fuzzy that we get from our dogs, but that's the truth. Okay, and we have to decide, is that real in here? Do I really understand that? Has he changed my heart? Maybe you don't have anything to share about Christ because he hasn't. You say, oh, yes, I believe. But is your heart full of those things of grace? Is they full of those things of peace? Or are you out in the world just struggling and you, you find no peace and you have no joy? And that's because you have no Christ in your heart. If you can't share it, it's because you don't have it. Okay? We all have to face that. But if Christ has changed your life, 
if he has bestowed that grace upon you, then it is within you. And all you have to do is share what he has done. Share what he has done. Say, I'm not the Christ. He's the Christ. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Okay, let me share with you what he has done. Two things you got to walk away with today. John was the voice. He's the one who communicates about Jesus Christ. He could no more make anyone a believer than we can. That is only the work of the Lord. He changes the hearts. We proclaim. He uses us as his instrument. And the Holy Spirit changes a heart. Secondly, John's life reflected what he preached. His life was one of humility. His life was one of obedience. Okay? God has chosen you. If you are a believer, he has chosen you. That is not something to be proud about. That is something to be humbled because you don't deserve it. But yet he has placed this wonderful treasure in this, what kind of jar? Clay jar. He has deemed us, the likes of us, precious enough to proclaim the things of his son, Jesus Christ. Our lives will never be perfect. You will never have the perfect testimony. You will never have that perfect opportunity. You will flub the words. You will, you will stumble over the things. You'll go think back and say, oh, if I would have said this, or if I would have said that, that's not the point. The Lord will use you, but you've got to open your mouth and witness to Jesus Christ, for he has salvation. Let's pray. Lord, it's a great gift, the things of Christ. John the Baptist knew. He was just the guy that points to Christ. We know because if you've worked in our hearts and you've changed our lives, we know about that. And, and we just point to you. Just tell others what you've done. Here are the facts. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was a sinner, but now I'm a child of God. I didn't deserve it, but that's what he did. I didn't have peace, but now I have peace. I lack joy, but now I've got joy. My life's not perfect, but God always is there with me because that's what he promises to do. Heavenly Father, come upon us. There are those here today that they can't witness because they don't know you. Then open their eyes. Move in their hearts right now that the Holy Spirit would come Reveal to them who Jesus Christ is, that their, their search for what is true and right and just is over. That it is Christ that they have been longing for. And today is the day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who believe, that we would just see that we are called to witness to Christ. To simply tell about what you have done in our lives so that we might be the vehicle to proclaim his glory and his love, that others would believe upon him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn is number 667, Jesus Saves. Let's stand as we sing all four verses of 667. 